Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about wanting things that God does not want for us. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a couple of things that we have coming up at our church. In just a few weeks, the Lenten season will be upon us, the season of Lent. If you don't know what that is, let me just say that it is the time leading up to Easter. And it is a time that the global church often uses to prepare their hearts for a celebration of Easter. At Creekside, this means that we do a couple of things, and those are the things I want to tell you about. The first one is that we have an Ash Wednesday service. An Ash Wednesday service is really a time for us to remember that we are frail and that we are mortal and that we are in desperate need of God. It is the beginning of the Lenten season. If you are in our area, that service will be on March 6th. You can learn about it by going to wilsonville.church slash Ash Wednesday. But even if you're not in our area and you want to check out an Ash Wednesday service, you'll be able to be a part of that online. You just need to go to wilsonville.church slash live, wilsonville.church slash live. We hope you'll join us in person for that, but if not in person, online. The other thing that we do leading up to Easter during Lent is that we always spend some time examining the life of Jesus. We do that every year for the six weeks, kind of building towards Easter. It is one of the coolest times of year, I think, in our church as we really just intentionally think about how great Jesus is. Please make sure that you tune in for our next series, which is a series about the people that encountered Jesus and the reactions that they had to him. I really hope that that you will join us for those sermons at our church. Or again, if you're not in our area, you'll tune in online. You'll listen uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And so let me plug, as I sometimes do, subscribing to our podcast. If you don't subscribe, then you'll forget to listen. But if you'll click the little subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, then you'll be notified and reminded when we upload those sermons. And it's all free, of course. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hey, good morning again, everybody. I said to Brandon, hey, I think you're getting old because you couldn't see that. And he said, oh, my contacts are messed up, which sounds like a really likely story. When I was a kid, my dad only took me fishing a few times. And I know that sounds like he was an absentee dad or something. We're just not really fishermen. He coached all of my baseball games. He helped coach basketball games. And he was at every one of my football games. And so it wasn't like he wasn't around. He's only been fishing probably 10 to 15 times. I've been fishing four or five times, and I want to tell you two of those stories today. When I do, you'll think, maybe this is why they didn't go fishing more often. So uh, one of the first times I ever remember fishing, and I, I called my dad to confirm both of these stories. We were at a church camp, which I now have heard was at Subtle Lake here in Oregon. You drive by it on the way to Central Oregon, or you drive by a sign, or, or yeah, uh, if you take the Eugene Pass, I believe. Um, I could be wrong about that. I was very little when this story happened. And uh, somebody at this camp said, hey, I, I brought a canoe. 
anybody want to go out on this canoe with us? And I don't know whose idea it was, if I was begging my dad or if he was like, sure, let's go out on the canoe or whatever. And so uh, however many people you can fit on a canoe. In my head, uh, I'll tell you, and you know how this is when you have childhood stories, it's a little rowboat in the middle of the largest body of water that you can ever think about. So if you want to picture that, that's okay. That's what I'm picturing. And so we go out in this canoe, this little rowboat, and we go out in the middle, and I don't know if we had this idea before after we got out there, but somebody was like, maybe we should try to catch some fish. And I have no idea if we have a, a fishing rod or not with us. I, I don't even know if that's with us. We might have just had a stick and some string or whatever. And, and yet somebody says, maybe we should try to catch some fish. And somebody else says, good idea. So what's going on at this church camp, right? Like, this is not a good idea because we don't have any of the supplies. The main thing that we don't have is bait. We need bait. You need bait to catch fish. They don't usually just grab onto a string and say, hey, I'd like to be eaten today. Uh, and so, not to be deterred, somebody's like, I have a stick of gum. <laughs> Maybe we can make bait out of this. So we get out, it was Big Red, which I did not have available to me. Big Red's hard to find these days, but uh, it's the best kind of gum. I'm sorry to do this into a microphone, but we chew up the gum. I won't do it for too long. And we're like, oh, yeah, take it out. And we kind of do this to it. It's like, that kind of looks like a worm, you know? I mean, you kind of got a little bit of bait here. And we put it on the hook, and we drop the line in. And you can imagine how many fish we caught. Guess. Zero. We caught no fish whatsoever. And that's all the whole memory. I don't remember getting back to shore or anything. We did not have fish dinner. We had whatever they were serving at this camp, which was probably spaghetti, you know? And, and that's it. The second time I remember going fishing as a kid, uh, my dad and I drove up outside of Detroit Lake, and, and we, in my mind, again, it's this huge hike down to, uh, down to the creek that kind of runs into Detroit Lake. He tells me we parked on the side of a road and walked for about 30 seconds, but in my head, we're walking through this giant forest. I have sticky hands now, sorry. We're walking through this giant forest down to what looks like a 200-foot drop-off, which I'm sure was not that big, and down below this drop-off, if this is, let's just pretend this is the drop-off, there's kind of a little ledge about five, ten feet down, and you have to slide. My dad did verify that. You kind of have to slide down. I was like, how did you feel comfortable taking me to do this? He's like, I don't know. Uh, that was pretty much it. He was a young parent, and so we kind of slide down to this little ledge. It's a, a fishing hole that my dad's friend Eric had told him about, a good fishing hole, and on the uh, far side is kind of rapids, and on the, uh, the closer side is kind of rapids, but somehow the way the water churns right there, there's, there's still water right in the middle that the fish like to hang out in. And so we sit down, and like one minute in, I turn to say something to my dad, and I knock all of the fish eggs into the water. Just goes down. Now, here's what's so funny about this story. This is the only thing I remember about the fishing trip. And I called my dad to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell this story this weekend, you know, about us fishing together. And he's like, man, I hardly remember you knocking that bait into the water at all. He's like, what I remember is we caught a whole bunch of fish. He's like, now that I'm thinking about it, the reason we probably 
caught a whole bunch of fishes because you did something that's illegal. It's called chumming. And, and it's where you, you throw a bunch of bait into the water in order to get the fish hungry and eating, and then you throw in your line, and they're like, oh, it's lunchtime, you know, and they, they take a bite. I looked it up. You have to be three miles off the coast of Oregon in order to do this in Oregon. You have to be three miles out into the ocean. And, and, and here's what both of those stories remind us of. Chad should not go fishing uh, ever again. Uh, and fish are caught by what they want. They're never going to be caught by the things they don't want. They're not going to be caught by a stick of gum, no matter how much you try to make it look like a worm. They're going to be caught by the things that they want. Now let me turn a corner and bring that all back to our topic today, our passage of scripture. Last week we started a sermon series on the topic of lust and I defined lust as wanting things that God has not given us and does not want for us. And today I want to I want to give you this proposition and, and it's simply this. You can be a servant of the Lord or you can be a slave to your lusts. Now here's how we have it backwards in our minds and it doesn't matter if you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a new Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a long-time Christian that's grown up in the church, we get it backwards because we often think that serving Jesus restricts our freedom. We think that freedom is being able to give in to everything, to do everything, to have everything that we want, everything that we lust after. If God would just let me do this, then man, my life would be so much more fun. Some of you who aren't Christians are like, if God didn't have those rules, then I would just embrace this Christianity thing, but I'm not ready to give up on, on the fun that I have. You don't know how often I hear people like have this idea, express this idea, not just have this idea. Like, man, Christianity seems so boring. And when they say that, what they mean is Christianity seems so restricting to my freedom. But this morning I offer again that you can be a servant of the Lord or you can be a slave to your lusts. We're going to look at 2 Peter 2, 17 through 22 this morning, and, and this is how it starts. These people, I'll explain who they are in a second, are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Who are these people that just kind of come out of thin air as we pick up in this passage? They are false teachers. They are, te they are people teaching things that are not in line with what God has said. They are teaching things even more specifically that are not in line with what God has revealed to Christians through his apostles, the men, many of the men who wrote down their words in the Bible. They're teaching something else. And it says here that destruction is their ultimate end. Blackness, blackest darkness is reserved for them. These people are destined for eternal judgment. But what are they promising? What are they promising? Well, the first thing we read about their promises here, and man, this is just, this is just so true. I, I sense this all around us. You can go to a self-help aisle and find so much of this. But they are, they are promising something good, but not delivering. That's pretty much what this is here. It's like a creek that doesn't have any water in it, or it's like a cloud that looks like a rain cloud, and you're in the middle of a desert, and all of a sudden this rain cloud shows up, and then it just kind of drifts right on by. I uh, spent two months, I've told you this before, doing ministry in the Arbon Valley, which is in Idaho. It's a 
beautiful place. If you're ever near the Arban Valley, there's nothing there, but just take a right-hand turn and go check out the Arban Valley if you're kind of in the southeast part of Idaho near Utah. It's stunning. But I helped this pastor of this little church, probably seven people in it, uh, in the middle of the Arban Valley where there's no houses, so you felt like you were reaching everybody. I mean, like seven people. It's like there's no homes here. And these people would pray for rain all the time because it's the largest non-irrigated farming in the world. And, and in America, not the world. In America, excuse me. And, it, and, and what this says about these false teachers is that they're like a cloud coming over the Arban Valley and the farmers are like, yeah, this is going to be important. This is going to be helpful. This is going to be good. But the things that they're saying are actually not beneficial at all. So if these words are not beneficial, here, here's the question, right? I mean, what, what is it that is attracting people to them? Because they're, they're attractive enough in their teaching that the readers of 2 Peter are being drawn to them, at least some, enough for Peter to say, hey, I'm gonna take some space in my letter and write to you about the danger of these people. What is it that is attracting people to them if all they are is like a creek without water? And the next verse answers that. 2 Peter 2.18 says, for they mouth empty, we already know that, they're empty, boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in air. These words are empty. It's like a cloud without any rain when you really need it. Um, but they're attractive for a couple of reasons. One is that they are arrogant. The King James Version uh, translate this, translates this same phrase like this. They speak great swelling words of vanity. And the English Standard Version says that these are arrogant words of vanity. I think we know this, but big words make small statements seem really significant. Don't we kind of know that? Like if somebody can just say something in a way that sounds really smart. Um, I've had this conversation before. I, I end up in a lot of circles where most people are just a lot smarter than me, frankly. Um, in the kind of theological world, it seems like, uh, like I mean, I'm... I'm not an idiot, but I'm definitely not at the top of, you know, the chain. And, and I found that, like, if you just know a couple of big words that kind of fit the conversation, you can just listen to what people are saying and then chime in with a big-sounding question. Like, oh, yeah, hypostatic union, you know? I th what do you think about this? And then people will think you belong. Like, oh, this guy knows what I'm talking about. You're like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. I met a guy at a Thanksgiving uh, party once. I don't know how these things happen to me, but they do. And, and he is in charge at, at, at like Stanford University of like something that's trying to like recreate the Big Bang Theory or something. And it's this, this big spinning thing and they slam atoms together. Is this ringing any bell to anybody? And I knew like the word atom. And I'm like, oh, so tell me more about the atoms, you know? And he thought I understood everything else he was saying. And he talked for 25 minutes, no clue. Still can't explain it to you as I stand before you. No clue what the guy was talking about. If he's listening, sorry, man. Uh, big words, being able to use big words makes things sound right even when those things are wrong. And these false teachers that are leading people astray are coming in and they're saying it like they mean it, they're saying it like they own it, they're saying it like it's right, they're saying it in smart language, they're saying it in a way that sounds good and people are like, huh, maybe I should think about that. But that 
that's not the bait that's enticing the people. Because that's what's said next here. The bait that is enticing the people is the lustful desires of the flesh. They are appealing to people by the lustful desires of the flesh. And it says with these lustful desires, by appealing to them, then then the people are enticing, which, by the way, is uh, translated from a Greek fishing word that means something to the effect of to take or catch properly with bait. The bait that is enticing, specifically new believers here, new Christians, people that have just become Christians and don't know any better, and so these false teachers show up and it's like, wow, that sounds good, and and they're being drawn to them, but this happens to Christians everywhere, right? We can be sucked into the smart-sounding words, especially when somebody attaches to those intelligent, boastful, arrogant words the lustful desires of our flesh. If you believe me, then you can have exactly what you want. They're enticing them. The word biblical commentary says, grandiose sophistry is the hook. Filthy lust is the bait. You, you know this works because there's preachers on TV that lie, just pretty blatantly about what the Bible teaches and what God would have for us. And, and the longer you're a Christian, the more, I think, as long as you're in good Christian circles, like they're teaching truth, you're like, what is this guy talking about? This guy is telling me he needs a new jet, a new private jet? That doesn't sound right. But new Christians are like, well, he said it in big words and he pointed to a Bible verse. I mean, he's gotta be right. He needs a new jet. And if I just send the money... This is what they'll promise, right? If I just send the money, if I just buy that prayer shawl, if I just do whatever they're asking me to do, what do they say? They don't say, hey, the ministry will be moved forward, people will become Christians. They say, God will give you what you want. Your prayers will be answered, you'll be healed, you'll be able to afford the new car, you'll be able to pay the bill that you didn't think you were going to be able to pay, your kids will get healthy, your, your six-pack will come back, they don't say that one, but you know, like every, everything that you lust after, they don't put it in these words, everything that you lust after, if you just do what I say, will come true. People are like, oh, well, I'm going to write a check. We're caught by what we want. That's what's going to lead us to being trapped. And verse 19 says that the, what, they're, what they're doing, it explains it. It's really interesting. Verse 19 says they promised them freedom, talking about Christians. These false teachers are promising Christians freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For, notice this, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. They're promising freedom specifically from from God's judgment, the end times, when God comes back, when God returns, when God calls you heavenward, when you die. They're saying, that judgment's not going to really happen. And therefore, if you're not going to be judged, you can do whatever you want. That is the bait that these false teachers have dropped into the water to catch God's people. God will not judge you. 
So go ahead and give in. Do what you want. Do whatever feels good. Get as much, satisfy as much of your lust as you possibly can. This hasn't changed much, right? I mean, I know, man, (laughs) these two lies, I talk about these in like two-thirds of my sermons, it seems like, because it's such an epidemic in our world today. But, but I'll tell you, it's like, here's the bait that's going out to all of us who are Christians today. Two things, ready? One, if you don't feel convicted about it, then it's not wrong. If you don't feel bad about the things that you're doing, then it is not morally wrong. When you get outside of Christian circles, it's just said like this, morality is relative. What's moral for you is moral for you, but it might be different for me. And what's moral for me is moral for me, and it might be different for you. But in Christian circles, we, we put it in smarter language, right? More biblical-sounding language, language that sounds kind of spiritual. If you don't feel convicted, if you don't feel like God doesn't want you to do it, then, then you're fine to do it. Most of the sins I commit, I don't feel convicted about, at least until after they're over. <laughs> The Bible nowhere says that if you don't feel bad about something, then it's okay to do. But man, doesn't that make us be able to do more of the stuff that we kind of naturally, physically, in our flesh, by our sinful nature, want to do? I go, I don't really feel bad about it. So it must be okay. God's given me permission because he hasn't made me feel bad. And we just, we just, take the bait we just take it or this one and you know this one it's pretty similar but doesn't god just want me to be happy isn't that the whole goal of god is looking down and saying chad whatever makes you happy i mean you can go steal from that other person because i don't care about their happiness you know i mean i only care that you have the tv and not them it's a ridiculous thing right i mean when we when we put it in those terms like man chad wants God just wants Chad to be happy and so I can do whatever I want to you. But man, we just, we just take that bait. Christians all around me are taking that bait. God just wants me to be happy and I will, I will funnel right and wrong through this kind of end all, be all purpose of life. The purpose of God is to make me happy. And so if I think it's going to make me happy, and most of the things we lust after ultimately don't, but if I think it's going to make me happy, then I am free to do it. You see, what's promised in this passage of Scripture is, in fact, freedom. And we think, man, I just want to be free to do whatever I want. God, leave me alone. Take away your rules. I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want. And these people are promising that. Hey, listen to us. Do what we want. Live like us. And you can do whatever you want. We'll tell you how you can follow God and get rid of the rules. But notice what it says. It's so interesting. It says that these false teachers, and this is what will happen to all of us that live following those paradigms. God just wants me to be happy. I'm not convicted about it. They are slaves of their depravity. They're slaves to their sin. They think we have freedom, but they are slaves no longer to the Lord. They are slaves to their sins. For, it says here, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Bob Dylan 
I like him. I know that's a little controversial. I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. And I don't know if you know this about Bob Dylan, uh, but Bob Dylan grew up in a Jewish home and then converted to Christianity. And most of the music that came out of about a two or three year period was, uh, was Christian music. Uh, some of it more subtle, some of it more strict. And, and because I come from a, a Christian home, somehow I ended up with the, with the record, the vinyl of one of Bob Dylan's uh, Christian albums, probably the most famous one. And, uh, and on it, he has this song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And I just want to read you some of those lyrics because Bob Dylan probably was never more right than when he says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it might be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The song goes on for like an hour, as Bob Dylan will do. Uh, you kind of forget you're listening to the same song if you're driving somewhere. But the point is, you're going to have to serve somebody. And the reality is that you can be a servant of the Lord or a slave to your lust. And I say it in that way specifically because when we serve God, he promises that his, that his burden is light. But I promise you, by looking around and the anecdotal evidence all around me, that giving into your lusts, when you give into your lusts freely and openly and without restriction, they will not give you a light burden. They will be a heavy taskmaster that rains down their burden upon you. We are caught by what we want. We're really caught by sin. Think about the first story in the Bible, really. The story of God creating, and he creates man and woman. Their names are Adam and Eve. And there's this tree in the middle of the garden, and God says, don't eat from that tree. God's taking away their freedom. How dare him restrict them? The food looked good on that tree. It says it in Genesis. How dare he take away from their happiness, from their freedom? And the serpent shows up, Satan shows up, he talks to him, and he says, hey, are you really going to believe God? He just doesn't want you to have ultimate freedom. He doesn't want you to see things the way that he sees things. He, he doesn't want you to have his knowledge. How dare God restrict your freedom? And they take a bite, both of them, and immediately they feel they're under the slavery of their lusts. Because instantly, instantly, they don't feel free. They don't go, sweet, finally we're free. We get to do whatever we want around this place. Good night. They're gripped. They're enslaved. They're enchained. They're entangled by their shame. They know they're naked and they need to cover up and not let anybody, not let each other see themselves. And then God comes and they hide. They're not free, they're slaves. And we've been fighting that slavery forever. We think that if God would have just taken away the rules and let us do whatever we want, then we would be free. But in reality, we know. 
we can sense, we can feel that is giving into our lust that causes us to be slaves. I would much rather be a servant of the Lord than a slave to my lust. You know this in other ways, right? Because it's not just stories in the Bible. Any person that you know that is an alcoholic at some point gave in to their lust the first time. Any Christian you know that is an alcoholic, at some point in their lives, they knew that God had put in place a rule. Don't get drunk. Pretty simple rule. How dare God restrict my freedom? How dare he take away my fun? How dare he tell me what to do? I'll just get drunk this one time. Some of those men and women are living on the streets in Portland now, slaves to their lusts. Slaves. Weird thing happened. Um, I was working on this sermon and sitting at Starbucks, as I often am doing. It is weird to even tell you out loud, but I'm going to anyway pay attention because you're going to think I'm crazy, but uh, I'll explain myself. And, and I look up, and all of a sudden, I see this, this man and this woman, nicely dressed, nice looking couple. They see each other, they greet each other, and my brain clicks on as it will do because I usually don't care about what's happening at my own table, whether I'm sitting with you at a restaurant or whatever. I care about what's happening at the other table. I'm wired that way, and in my head, I know these people are on the precipice of an affair or they're already having one. You go, what? <laughs> like, how did you know that? Were you sitting next to them? No, I was about 30 feet away, but that is unimportant to the story. The body language told me everything it was this weird hug where they weren't sure if they were going to kiss and then I was taking notes I was literally taking notes on this um and, and so forgive me I didn't write my notes down but then there was this awkward touching that was happening and they had wedding rings on by the way there was this awkward touching that was taking place and then one time she touched his hand and he kind of grabbed for way too long and, and here's look there's three options here one is is that it was an arranged marriage and they're just getting to know each other i think it's highly unlikely in america and they were white caucasian people uh two they're like divorced or recently separated and they're trying to work it out maybe, so it's a little uncomfortable and awkward. Three, they're not married to each other, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. So then there's like, I knew this guy's leaning back, and I'm like, he's going to lean in, he's going to lean in, and eventually they're leaning in. Their faces are far too close. I would never get that close to my wife's face anymore when we're just sitting in public. Hey, honey, how you doing? Uh, I mean, there's this weird touch. He's rubbing her arm on the underside, but always away from, from the rest of the people, and they, this is how I really know they're not married. They never noticed me staring at him for 25 minutes. Like, come on, my wife is right there, and she would tell you, Chad would notice people were staring within three seconds and have no idea what I was talking about. Uh, and that's how married, you know if you're married. I sound like a bad guy, but you're the bad guy too. Like, it, it's just, you notice these things around you because you're not in this stage where it's like, honey, there's nobody else in the whole wide world anymore. You're not in that stage. So I watched them a long time. I have the full notes if you want more proof later. Step by step, touch by touch, things that were happening. I tried to get up and get a refill so I could hear what was taking place. But what made it so staggering is that I'm watching this unfold while literally like, lust is this. You get caught by what you want. And so everything that's happening is being funneled through this, this lens of here's a man and a woman who are clearly lusting after each other. And this is what I thought. Man, I would love, I had no way of doing it, but I would love to walk up to them and say, I know it feels like your marriage is restrictive right now. Like if you could just be free of that 
you know, your spouse at home, if your kids weren't so loud at night and you could just have this life that you used to have where you could flirt with other girls and do your own thing, if, if you could just, just embrace this lust, I know it feels like you would be free to experience your full level of happiness. But I promise, I promise that it will entrap you in ways that you never desired. You'll worry about when you get to see your kids next. You'll worry about how much money you have to give to your spouse and how you're gonna rent a new apartment and you'll worry about the pain and destruction that you caused and years later you'll think, what if and what if I could go back and when you leave this lady for the next one, I promise you that, that you'll think, what about that first lady? What, I mean, what about that first wife? I just wish I would've stayed with her and things would've, like, I, you will become a slave to this lust. Said I got my refill and went home. But that's what I wanted to say. You can be a servant of the Lord or you can be a slave to your lust. The next two verses say this thing that's so important because it, it reminds us of how weird it is that we want to go backwards. This is what verses 20 and 21 say. Pay attention to this. Notice this. It's kind of long, but pay attention. If they've escaped the corruption of the world, by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. This is specifically about those false teachers, but what an incredible warning for us. How dumb it is for us to be set free and then to go back into the trap. I think of it like this, if you could stay with me for another fish analogy, but um, just pretend you're a fish. God uses that language about us. And you're a fish that lives in a fish farm. It's disgusting. Uh, I read an article in preparation for this sermon that said, fish farms are so disgusting, this is the title of the article, fish farms are so disgusting, salmon are getting lice. <laughs> I pretty much never eating fish again uh, unless it's wild but but picture you grow up in this area you're in a small pond there's no way to get out you're gonna live your, your short little life in this disgusting pond and you know that the end is coming and the end is this somebody's gonna pick you up in a net they're gonna kill you and then you're gonna put you in ice but at this fish farm they have really good food for whatever reason. Stay with me. It's an analogy. It's tasty and you like it. Feels good when they feed you. You don't get fed as often as you like, but you feel good when you're fed. But then one day, you are sitting there and Jesus comes up. I know, he probably shouldn't get in the story. And he picks you up into his net. In fact, he says, if you get into my net, then I'm going to take you to this huge lake that's full of clean, fresh water. And your ultimate, the ultimate end will not be ice. It will be here. You'll get to live forever in the perfect water. And you say, I'll get in that. That sounds great. You get in, you get in the net, and, and Jesus fulfills his promise. And he, he takes you to this new lake, and it's like, wow, I'm free. But as Jesus puts you in, he says, hey, don't eat any worms. I just don't want you to eat any worms. You're like, oh, fine, no worms. No, it's great. I'm free. It's so good. 
And you're swimming around, and one day you see a worm floating down from the surface. Like, this is just like the food they had at that other place, that fish farm. And it seems so tasty. Like, Jesus said I shouldn't eat the fish, and in your head, just somewhere in the deep back of your head where you know you shouldn't, you know the dark moments in your brain where, where it's like, I shouldn't even think that, you think, man, I can't believe Jesus doesn't want me to have that food I had before. It was satisfying in some ways. I miss it. And your fish friend, Bob, <laughs> shows up, and Bob says, hey, Chad, Jesus just wants you to be happy, man. It's okay if you eat the worm. Like, I mean, if you don't feel bad about eating the worm, just eat the worm. It's okay. Like, man, that kind of sounds good. Bob uses a bunch of theological words, point to a, points to a passage of Scripture somewhere in the Old Testament. says, look what it says. God's plan is to prosper you, and worms mean prosper. Oh, yeah, Bob's smart, man. He's been a Christian a lot longer than me. He got that theological education, you know. And so you say, I'm not going to eat the worm. I'm going to look at it every day. I'm just going to look at it. I know where they put it in the water. I know where, it's, where it comes down and just floats so nicely there, so gently. I'm really getting into this now. And day after day, you stare at it until one day you take a bite and it reels you in. And you're going, wait, I don't want to do this anymore. I liked what Jesus said. I don't want the worm. And you wake up the next day and you're still hooked. And you're still hooked. Am I scrolling the wrong way? Because I'm getting some looks. Oh, no, it's right. And, and, and you, it's pulling you in. And it's pulling you in. And you know, you know it's wrong and you don't feel good about it because that lack of guilt is no longer a lack of guilt. You're actually feeling guilty. And it's getting harder and harder and harder to go back down, to go into the freedom. And you know you are trapped. And no longer is it the net of Jesus that picks you up, but it's the net of something far worse. And they take you back to the fish farm. That's, that's what this is saying. It's saying that we are caught by what we want. And Jesus has set rules in place that give us freedom. Not restrict freedom. Give us freedom. And you have a choice to make. You can be a servant of the Lord or a slave to your lusts. He ends it by saying it in this way. Of them, the false teachers, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. In other words, the teachers are like fish that were freed and returned to the farm. Man, fish are caught with what they want, and here's the reality. Christians are caught by what they lust after. The very things that you are lusting after are the things that will eventually take away your freedom and take away, take you away from all of the blessings that God wants for you. We tend to think that freedom equals, don't we? Like, I get to eat all the worms. I get to do, that's what? Uh, I get to do, <laughs> that just popped into my head. It, it, we tend to think it's just being able to do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. The things that stand in the way of our freedom or, you know, more money or whatever. If I just have more money, I can do whatever I want. But the reality is you're going to have to serve somebody. And you need to make a choice whether you will serve your Lord or your lust. 
I want to talk to three different people for a second because I think this is really important. So listen, listen, pay attention. You're going to fall into one of these three groups, I think. The first is you who aren't Christians, who have just not embraced Jesus. I know that if you will strip away all your talk of being agnostic, of you know, not being sure if science can align with the things of Christianity and all that, if you can just strip all that away, then somewhere deep down inside, you're probably, at least partly, not giving your life to Jesus because you don't want Jesus to restrict your freedom. And what I want you to know this morning is that you are already a slave to your lusts. Jesus is just asking you to be a servant of his. And if you'll choose that, then you'll have real freedom. Freedom is not being able to give in to your lusts. And I tell you, you are a slave to the things that you think equate to freedom. And I would ask that you would take a long, honest look inside and ask yourself, why is it? Why is it that I haven't embraced this Christianity thing? Why is it that I haven't given my life to Jesus? Why is it that I kind of have maybe even a mental belief like, oh, Jesus is good, Jesus is the Savior of the world, but I don't actually live for him? Because I think at the bottom of that soul searching, you will find that you are a slave to your lust, and the way out is to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, (laughs) I want to be your servant because I believe your burden is light. I believe that you, through your death and resurrection, through dying for my sins and rising again, have set me free from the things that I am currently enslaved to. And I want to get in your net so that you can set me free in better waters. Now, second, second group, uh, I just, man, some of you, I, I, I mean, maybe not, hopefully not any of you, but, but some of you might be like that guy sitting at Starbucks and you're just kind of flirting with that lust, you know, like it's not that bad to look as long as I don't jump in, as long as I don't actually take the next step. Like I just can kind of, I can kind of lust, but I'm never going to actually, you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to give in. And I'll tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. And right now, whatever that thing is you're thinking of, you know, you're like, yeah, this, I know, I walked that line. Man, go away from the line. Go so far away from the line. Stop looking at the worm. Go swim in the ocean. Go like, go out and be free because you're serving the Lord. Do not sit there, swim there, do whatever there, looking and saying, oh, it looks so nice. We can do this without, about so many things, right? I mean, it's like we, we can say, man, I, I want I want a different job, but it seems like to serve Jesus, I have to stay in this job. And you're just like, I'll just, I'll just check LinkedIn or whatever. We can do it about that other woman, right? Like, oh, I, I love my wife. I would never leave her, but we'll just, we'll just go to coffee. You know, we'll just have coffee. Or, you know, like, I, I'm not going to look at pornography, but, but I'll log into the internet. I'll hang out on some sites that, you know, kind of make me want to go to a porn site, but I won't. I'm not actually, I'm not actually going to do it, you know, I'm just going to stay right there. I, I mean, you can go on and on down the list. Satan, this is what Satan wants. This is what he did in the garden. He wants you to think, it's not that big a deal if I lust. But if you keep lusting, you will be a slave to that lust. Now, some of you, I didn't need to preach this sermon up to this point because you're like, I'm already a slave. I was caught. I was reeled in and I can't break free. I'll tell you this. Let me just make this so clear. You got to repent and you got to pray and you got to do whatever you can to get free. 
You ought to act more like a tuna being caught out in the ocean than a little Chinook salmon here in the Northwest. You've got to fight. You've got to do everything you can to get free because it's pulling you in, and it's not going to pull you in any less tomorrow. It's not going to be any harder to break free tomorrow. You've got to now, right now, do whatever you've got to do. I'll tell you that one of the things you've got to do, you just got to say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm trying because sometimes we get caught, and we don't even try anymore. It's like, I'm giving up. I've gone too far. I'm caught. I'm a slave to my lust. I'm going to be doing this forever. That's a lie, Satan. You're not going to be doing it forever. Man, the one who, who grabbed you and pulled you into the fresh water, Jesus, is far stronger than the little fisherman at the top of that boat that's wrangling you in. I promise you that. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You are not too far gone. You can be free again. But start today by fighting back. Repent of your sins. Pray. Actually pray. I know we're like, I should pray about this, but actually say, God, I am not free. I'm hooked. I'm addicted. I want to stop. You got to help me. Please. And then, and then, take steps. Like if you need to stop, if you need to break your computer, go home and break your computer. I just break it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to go back to the farm. I mean, if you need to go, if you need to talk to me, I know it's uncomfortable, right? If you need to talk to a friend, okay, I'm addicted to this. I can't break free. Do it. Here's one of the great lies of Satan, Satan too. You're the only one that's hooked by this. That's, that's just, you're not. You're not. I've never confessed anything to anybody where they're like, wow, I can't believe you do that. You, nobody else has ever been addicted to that or caught in that or doing that. You are the worst. Nobody ever says that. Find a friend, talk to them, get help, go see a counselor, come talk to me. You got to do something to break free because you will be a slave to your lusts. You maybe already are and it's not fun. Man, I just want you to know this morning, I just want you to know and believe in your heart of hearts that there's only two good options in this world. There's only two options. There's only one good option. There's only two options. You can be a slave to your lusts or a servant of the Lord. And I hoped this morning, no matter where you are, no matter if you're a Christian, not a Christian, stuck, not stuck, thinking about it, not thinking about it, you'll make a decision to say, I'm gonna be a servant of the Lord because that's where real freedom comes from. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I have a burden this morning, God. And it's a burden to look out at these people, Lord, that fall into these three categories and, and, and to present your word. This is my burden to present your word in such a way, God, that you will use it to help them be as free, God, as they can be, which is it's total freedom in you. I pray, Lord Jesus, for all three of those groups. First, God, for the, the person who has not given their life to you. And God, they... They pretend that it's for all these other reasons, but it's really because they want to be able to go to the party next weekend. They want to be able to sleep with that guy or that girl, Lord. Or, uh, and I pray that right now they'd see through the garbage and they would understand how great you are and they would give their lives to you. Lord, for those who are thinking, just kind of on the precipice of giving in to their lust, they're kind of like flirting with it. They... they, they, they <laughs> They're okay with wanting something that you don't want for them. I pray you just stop it now. And they remember how great you are, Lord. And for those who are addicted, who are hooked, who are caught, 
I pray, God, that you would break, break the string, the chains, God, that they have, that they have got themselves attached to. They need your help. It's hard, God. It's hard to break free. But Lord, you are strong. You are good. You are gracious. Break them free even this morning, Lord. Break them free. Hey, while you guys still have your...